Mark chapter 3, and let's read our text. Uh, it's just only uh, six verses. We begin in verse 1, and re- reference to Jesus. It says, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he, he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. You know, it's a crazy story, you know, overall thoughts. Uh, I was just thinking immediately towards uh, application, how there might be some here in the synagogue, so to speak, this service, who have a withered hand. There's a physical uh, infirmity. There's something going on in your body. Or maybe you have a withered soul. Your heart has been broken. Maybe something happened to you growing up and you need healing in your heart, you know? I mean, whatever it is, if that's you and you have some type of uh, infirmity, some type of withered hand or heart, I think it's imperative to know that Jesus is here to heal you. And you know, the enemy we see in our story today will oppose any and every healing every time and using whatever means he can, whether it's his little book on the Bible that he wrote himself or perhaps some type of deception that the, you can't do this on the Sabbath or intimidation that if you do, will kill you. I mean, I don't know what the, the, the reasoning is from the enemy, but I just know that, you know, we're here and we're broken. And in the services, even like something today, you know, the Lord, the Lord can heal us. You know, He can heal us physically. And it's okay to ask Him for that, you guys. I, I want you to know that. First Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 is a prayer from Paul. He says, I want you to be healthy, body, soul, and spirit. It's okay. And God can do that according to His will. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to be rooted in the scriptures and know that that's not always his will to heal physically. Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh that God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Or 1 Timothy 5, 23, 2 Timothy 4, 20. You know, there are those times where God might not heal us physically, but it's okay to come. It's okay to ask. But I will tell you this, that it is always God's will to heal us on the inside, to heal us emotionally, to heal us spiritually. And you don't have to walk around, we don't have to walk around handicapped in those areas of our life. You know, I I pray that today as we go through our study, uh, that we would be open to maybe Jesus wants to do that for you today and so we got to be open and so again we read in verse one that he entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a withered hand 
And so we're going to see it's on the Sabbath day. Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. You know, one thing about the Lord, I will tell you, is this, that he was faithful to attend synagogue service every week. Luke 4.16 tells us it was his custom. And so when Jesus comes into the synagogue, Luke 6, verse 6, tells us that he went in and he actually taught. And so he goes in, he teaches, and in the synagogue there was a man with a withered hand. Again, Luke, the physician, he gives us more details and he tells us that it was the man's right hand. And so how many of you here, just out of curiosity, are right-handed, you know? We're the normal people, right? The, the right-handed, you know? No, I'm just joking. Actually, left-handed, I, I kind of I like left-handers. They are more creative. But anyways, here's the guy with the right hand. Luke is kind of saying that. Basically, what he's saying is that it would be the important hand to him. And apparently, this man had been injured. Uh, Jerome, who is a church father, wrote about this man, and according to history, he was at one time a stonemason. And so somewhere along the line, he uh, got hurt or an infirmity hit him hard. And so, you know, as I was thinking about this, a man in the synagogue with a right hand that's withered, here I am, you know, typing my notes, you know, I was thinking how, how not only different, but difficult that would be without my right hand. I mean, so many things to think about, but probably one of the main things is how would I provide for my family? You know, here's this guy in this predicament. And so, we read in verse 2, um, they watched him, speaking of the scribes, the Pharisees, and probably the Herodians, they watched him closely. What for? Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. You know, and we got to stay close to the Lord, and I would even say it's kind of cool to watch Him closely. But as they're watching Him closely, they're not just hoping to see Jesus heal the man for the right reason. They actually watched Him closely so that if He healed the man, they could accuse Him. You know, and that's such a bummer, man. It's such a, a tragedy. You know, they're still stuck on the Sabbath And not just the Sabbath, but the extra rules that they had added to the biblical command of God to keep the Sabbath. You know, Warren Wiersbe said Jewish tradition stated that there were 39 acts that were strictly forbidden on the Sabbath. He said Moses had prohibited work on the Sabbath, but he didn't give specifics. You know, the Bible says a few things. For example, it's wrong to kindle a fire for cooking or to gather fuel, or to carry burdens, or transact business. But, you know, Jewish tradition went beyond the Bible, and went into great detail, and even informed the people how far they could travel. They said you could only go uh, 200 cubits. So let me just ask you a question. Where did you get that rule that you have elevated to the status of Scripture? You know, where did you get the rule that says you can only travel 200 cubits? Where did you get the rule that says you can't heal someone on the Sabbath? Well, they added to the Bible. And, you know, just as a quick side note, I want to encourage you guys to be real strong in the Scriptures and to be Bible Bereans, man, and to make sure that all the traditions that you hold to are really rooted in the scriptures, that you're not adding to them. Because a lot of times, 
we, in our intentions to, to do good, do bad by elevating our own traditions to the status of Scripture. And so, in essence, what they did with their 39 interpretations and applications of the one law of the Lord was uh, go against Revelation chapter 22, verse 18, which forbids us to add anything to the word. You know, the Bible says the faith has been delivered once and for all. And, you know, and so I just trip out. I don't know about you, but can you believe the Jews took the Sabbath law that was intended to be a blessing to man so that he could have rest, and they just added law upon law to do the absolute opposite? You know, Jesus, we touched on this last week. Jesus touched on the fact that in verse 27 of chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You know, Jesus tried so hard to reach them with this truth, but apparently they weren't open. They actually believed that God valued his Sabbath more than souls. They weren't listening really to learn. They, they weren't watching really to see what God would show them. They came in with their preconceived ideas. They weren't really open to the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times, and especially for those of us who get older, we kind of get set in our ways. You got to be careful with that, you know. I mean, they weren't really there for the right reason. You know, David wrote about people like this in Psalm 37, verse 32 the Bible says the wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. Jeremiah experienced this in Jeremiah 20, verse 10. He said, all my acquaintances, think about that, my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying perhaps he can be induced, then we will prevail against him and we will take our revenge on him. And so, you know, it's happened to David, to Jeremiah, it happened to Jesus a lot people watching us, maybe you, for the wrong reason. And so this happened to Jesus. We read in Luke eleven fifty four about people lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something that he might say that they might accuse him. Or Luke 14, verse 1, it says, As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, they watched him closely. Luke 20, verse 20, So they watched him and sent spies Listen to this, who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. And so, you know, you guys reading this, I don't know about you, but I get bummed out. You know, because these guys would have been infinitely blessed to be saved and part of the church if only they had a heart to be true, you know? I mean really righteous, rather than just pretending uh, to be righteous. You know, and then we could think of people, huh? I mean, I know we can, people who are sick. I mean, I've been talking to Gabe back and forth when we got the news regarding his, his, his mom who had the stroke, and then he told me yesterday she just looks like she's sleeping and she's in a coma and they're meeting with the doctors, you know, and I was just thinking about her, about how awesome it would be if God healed her. Or I was thinking about brothers in this congregation. Henry mentioned Ed Murillo, who's in ICU, or 
Bob McCarter, who doesn't walk anymore, or thinking about Jose and Ray and so many people in the church who are sick or going through physical infirmities. I thought about this young man named James. He's a young man who has cancer. I mean, seriously. I mean, when you just think about the reality of that, I mean, our heart, it just goes out to them. We long for them to be healed, right? I mean, and then how horrible it would be if we had the ability to heal them instantly, but we were forbidden to do so because someone said, oh, no, you can't do that today. Today's, you know, the Sabbath day. It's a holy day. It's a holiday. You can't do work today. But that's how blind they had become. I mean, it's silly. It's actually evil. It's definitely unreasonable. And so, even though they are already, you know, weird in their thinking, Jesus does his best to try to reason with them. Look at verse 3. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they, they kept silent. You know, I, I think that he's going to be dealing with the man, but he really wants to communicate to the people and just think about it for a second. You know, he calls the man forward. He wants him to come up to the front so that everyone can see him. And, he, you know, and I don't know exactly what it would look like. Some say the, the whole arm couldn't move. Some say it was just the hand. But, I mean, you know, bring him up. Hey, you guys, can you see the shriveled, withered, deformed hand? Okay, good. You see him, you see the condition that he's in. This man who at one time was a stonemason supporting and working hard for his family. Can you see him? Just look at him. You know, don't just think about some impersonal role that you have established in your own tradition. Think of this man and his family. And now let me ask you a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? You know, and, and it's interesting when you put all the accounts of the synoptic gospels together, Matthew 12 and Luke 6, it, it's interesting. They asked him first, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They asked him. But again, they weren't asking to get an answer. They only wanted to ask to accuse. And so what the Lord does is he brings it back at them in his attempt to make them think it through. And in Matthew 12, let's, let's go there real quick. Matthew 12. In verse 11, during this whole thing, the Lord, he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus says, you know, if your animal falls into the pit on the Sabbath, you know you'd labor to lift it out of the pit, right? Well, what about this man? I mean, can't you see his hand? Can't you see he's down and out? It's as if he's fallen into a pit, and all I want to do is to lift him out of the pit that he's in. I mean, they were so blind. They couldn't see. 
you know, let's just say there's a ministry meeting or whatever, you know, we have our ministry meetings once a month and, and, and one of the, the people involved in ministry doesn't go to it, you know, and so you notice, hey, they weren't there, right? And so you notice that, and so then next thing you know, you start spreading the word, man, can you believe so-and-so wasn't there? You know, they're supposed to come to that meeting every month, and, and, and you just start, like, gossiping, backbiting, and slandering them. And you're, here you are, like, the righteous one? How do you know? How do you know what's, what's really going on? All I know is that, you know, we can take the traditions of men and we can take things that, yeah, maybe are good and we can actually become like the Pharisees here. We have to be so careful. To me, this is the epitome of hypocrisy. And so what ends up happening is Jesus looks at them and at this point, I don't think it was a smiley face, to be honest with you. <laughs> Notice two emotions are mentioned um, in, in verse 5. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. First emotion is, is anger, right? And the Greek word speaks of an agitation of the soul. It speaks of wrath. It speaks of indignation. It speaks of a violent emotion. And, and so, you know, in looking at this, you guys, we want to know how the Bible presents God. Do you think God gets angry? You think God gets angry? Uh, he does, doesn't he? He most certainly does. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is slow to anger six times, and you can cross-reference Psalm 103.8. So he's slow to anger, but he, he does get angry. You know, Psalm 7.11 says God is a just judge, and he's angry with the wicked every day. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 10, we read that God was angry with that generation who went astray from him. And in verse 17 of Hebrews 3, it says that it lasted 40 years. So think about that, angry with that generation. And what ended up happening to that generation? They died in the wilderness. You know, anger is an emotion that God possesses. Stuart Briscoe said, we tend to think of anger as sin, but sometimes it's sinful not to be angry. You see, anger in and of itself is not sin. That's why we read in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. And so here we see Jesus looking at them with anger. And just as a side note, you guys, I mean, because I think we need to know what the Bible teaches about God. I think it, I would venture to say that God is angry with a lot of what is going on in our country today. Just in case, you know... Um, some of the laws of the land that we're legislating in the United States of America, I mean, I, I think it's angering God. And it might be good just to note that uh, same-sex marriage is the violation and abolition of the family. God loves the family and is therefore angry with any type of leader or legislation that would come against sacred matrimony family is the fabric of society and when you read the book of genesis it was the first institution that god ordained i mean i think god is angry with abortion because abortion 
is the murder of innocent children, and it angers him. And now the legislation of the land that would allow, you know, restrooms to be shared between little girls and grown men simultaneously, I would venture to say that he looks down upon this and it angers him. You know, and all the people professing to be wise are not simply approving it, they're applauding it. You know, things that were unthinkable. I mean, who would ever think that we'd ever be having this conversation? You know, I mean, unthinkable that would barely be done by people in the back alley in a dark night are now being paraded down Main Street strutting in broad daylight with the masses and multitudes lining the streets, so to speak, like a parade, unashamedly applauding. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that that God is angry. But, you guys, that's not all God is, okay? Because a lot of people are like, yeah. Look again at verse 5. And we had looked around at them with anger, there's a second emotion there. It says, being grieved by the hardness of their heart. I mean, what do we usually associate grief with? Usually it's with death, right? And what the Lord is seeing here is by rejecting Christ, their you know, mere religion, by elevating human traditions over truth, in one sense they were choosing to die. You know, through the hardening of their hearts, they were heading to what the Bible calls the second death. And so it's not, it's not just anger, it's also grief. And so all these things that are going on, you know, um, it could be the religious hypocrisy, it could be the, you know, the, the craziness of the legislation of the day of those who don't know God. All these things, it angers him, but it also breaks his heart. It actually causes him pain when we choose the wrong path. You know, the New Living Translation, it, it, it translates it this way. It says that God was deeply saddened by their hearts. And we see that throughout the scriptures. I think of Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, where the Bible says, right before the flood, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved in his heart. And so just, you guys, the balance, that beautiful balance that we need to have. We need to know the fear of God, but we need to know the tears of God. That as all these things are happening, that as these people are choosing not to follow him, even to murder him, that all this is happening, that it actually angers him, but it also breaks his heart. And so what ends up happening, uh, we read in verse 5, And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. You know, Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand, and man, I don't know what it looked like. I, I just... You know, I'm pretty sure it looked pretty normal, but every once in a while, I... You guys ever seen that uh, cartoon, Beauty and the Beast? You, you guys see that? Remember at the end when the beast kind of was transformed into a prince? I don't know. I think sometimes things like that, you know? I mean, just imagine seeing it and witnessing it. You know, this guy has now a hand that's strong and, and whole. And so you'd fear everybody would be happy, right? 
wrong. Look at verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Luke 6.11 tells us they were filled with rage. Imagine that. I don't know about you, but I trip out on this. I really do. Uh, it was the scribes, according to Luke 7, the Pharisees and the Herodians, all teaming up together, discussing how they might destroy him. The Herodians were a political group, supporters of Herod. They would never be on the same team with the Pharisees. But right here we see because they have a common enemy, right? Man, it brings them together because together they feel they can bring Christ down. Now, you know, the Lord, he knew going into this, he knew that if he healed this guy, that the leaders of the land, the ones with that human power, that they would come against him. He knew, but he knew to do what was right. It didn't matter to him the consequences, so to speak. And it's just such a neat picture of the courage that he had. You know, right here where it says how they might destroy him, I mean, it's not just about like we're going to, you know, take away his position in ministry or something. I mean, uh, they wanted to kill him. They just wanted to kill him, right? Uh, one translation says that how they might assassinate Jesus. Imagine that. Here's the guys who are supposed to be representatives of God saying, hey, let's find a way where we can like, you know, somehow, you know, assassinate him. I mean, it's just crazy. Why? What did he do? Well, he just did what was right. He wasn't interested in public opinion. He didn't flinch in the presence of any type of peer pressure. He just did what was right. You know, I was thinking of Psalm 109. It's so applicable to the ministry and heart of our Lord. It says in verse 3 and 4, And they have also surrounded me with words of hatred, and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers. But I give myself to prayer. You know, what's going on here? I think at the end of the day, it's that classic spiritual battle between good and evil, between life and death, between God and Satan. And you and I we're right in the middle of all that. You know, like I said earlier, and I think we can close with this. You know, maybe you're here today and you have a withered hand. It could be the physical. Because, you know, the way that, we're, the way that we operate is we're physical, we're body, soul, and spirit. And they're so closely intertwined that I think that they oftentimes affect each other. I don't know if you guys have ever researched this, but they say that if you're mentally or emotionally broken, that that can actually spill over into your body physically, right? They're so closely connected. Sometimes, you know, not always, but sometimes when, you know, we're sick, uh, it just, yeah, next thing you know, we, we backslide. I mean, we don't read our Bibles and pray the way that we should. I mean, just if the devil could... He would just take you down. Boom, body, soul, and spirit. I want all of them. It's all the target of the enemy, you know? And so we find ourselves in this spiritual battle. Not that every time it's physical, it's the devil or his demons, but sometimes it is. And so there we are. We're handicapped in some sort of way, 
And all I can say, that right now the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they're just vessels of the devil. And they're just like, whatever I can do to keep them from getting better. Right? And, and that's, I think, a lot of times where, where, we're, where we're at. You know, I don't know. Maybe you're here today and you have a, a withered hand. Maybe you're here today and you have a, a withered heart. You know, and you, you, you don't want anybody to know. The last thing in the world that you would do is go forward. The last thing in the world you would do is stretch out your hand. I can't stretch out my hand. It's broken. Well, Jesus said to stretch it out. Well, I can't. Well, so you're not going to try? There was like a cooperation going on. Jesus told him, stretch out your hand. You know, it's kind of like other times when Jesus would heal people. He said, go and, and, and wash in the pool of Siloam. And as he went, or, you know, just different things that when we respond to what the Lord might ask us to do, it's then that we're healed. There is some type of cooperation going on in the operation of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that every time God wants to heal us, but sometimes he does. And so what I do is I keep praying and I keep knocking on the door. And I do know this, that spiritually speaking, I pray that even if there's just one person in this synagogue, so to speak, in this building, in this setting, in this sanctuary today, even if it's just one person, you know, the, the religious leaders, they knew Jesus would be drawn to that one person. Because that's the way the Lord is. He would leave the 99 and go to that one person. Maybe you are that one person who has a, a withered heart. You don't know the Lord. But he's calling you to him. He's drawn to you today. And he's drawing you to him. What I would like to do today, just in case, and it has nothing to do with me, it has everything to do with you and Jesus, period. That if he's calling you today, and let's just say, you know, you have a withered hand and there's something going on in your body physically, I want to ask you to come forward. We're going to have a couple of pastors up here. And all I want them to do is anoint you with oil. And you just tell them, what it is, my hand, my leg, my heart. You don't have to go into detail, and then you, you can go back to your seat. I mean, you know, that's all we want to do. We're going to close with a couple of songs, and, and you just tell them what it is, or I need to get right with the Lord, or my heart is aching, or I'm, you know, dying inside. I don't know, but whatever it might be. Because I, I, was, I was reading my text, and I was just thinking about this. I just thought, wow, Lord, you... You told the man there in verse 3 to step forward. There's something about this cooperation that's going on. And, and you told him to stretch out his hand. And he did. And he was healed. <laughs>